All right, we are in lesson five, and we are starting James chapter three today. We're going to tackle the first half of this chapter, and we're going to talk today about the power of the tongue. So buckle up. All right. Now, James begins this chapter by addressing people who would like to use their tongues to teach. So verse one says, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Do you know God takes the education of his people very seriously? So if you feel like you have a calling, an anointing on you to teach, celebrate that. Don't back away from it, but don't be so quick to get started either. Let God decide when you're ready. Just take the time to grow in the Lord and in the knowledge of his word. And make sure that any truth that you want to communicate to other people, you have an accurate understanding of it yourself because teachers are held accountable. See, James said here they receive a stricter judgment. And it's stricter because, you know, a teacher's own words will testify against them. If I stand up here and I tell you it's a sin to gossip, then I step off the platform and corner you in the back of the room and begin to gossip, I can't now say I didn't know any better, can I? My own words prove that I did know. And see, this is also true of you in your home and in your neighborhood and in your workplace. See, you can't instruct people how to live and then live another way yourself because your actions speak much louder than your words do. And people are watching. Your children are watching. So practice what you preach. Then you can preach what you practice. All right, so let's move on to verses two through four. James begins here to share some illustrations that show us just how powerful the tongue really is. So let's read verses two through four. It says, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. All right, so James begins here by telling us that the tongue is actually an outward indication of maturity. So he said here that if you can control your tongue, you are perfect, which means if you cannot control your tongue, you're imperfect, right? Okay, well, he used the illustration here of a bit in the mouth of a horse. Now, as I was preparing to teach this, I learned about horses that they can't do anything without the involvement of their head. If they are lying on the ground and they want to stand up, they have to throw their head up first. If they're standing and they would like to lay down, they have to lower their head. So if you're on a back of a horse and that horse runs away with you, what are you told to do but pull back on the reins? You pull the head back towards you. The horse will then begin to walk in a circle and stop. Now, as I was looking over these facts, I have you know, years ago experience with horses, but it's been a long time, so I don't know much about them. I called my friend Emily Paul, many of you know Emily, and she has horses, so I asked her, what is your experience? What do you think about this? And she said, it is absolutely true. In fact, she said, let me add this. If you are on the back of a horse and that horse is running, and that horse throws its nose up in the air, as the rider, you need to know something. You have lost control of the direction 
that that horse is going. The horse is now deciding. Doesn't that make this a very powerful illustration? Without a bit, we would have absolutely no control over these massive, powerful animals. Now, James also spoke of a rudder on a ship, making the same point here. Let's think for a moment about the size of a modern-day cruise ship. These things are resorts on the water, and yet a very small instrument turns these massive vessels. Now, you've probably heard the phrase, loose lips sink ships. This phrase was started in World War II. And it was started because uh, a realization came that all of these young men had been drafted into this war who had absolutely no idea of the power in their words. And as they began to just talk and share information, they could easily be sharing information with the wrong person, say an enemy spy. And this would be disastrous. So what the higher-ups did is they came up with this slogan to alert these young men about the power in their words. Now, you and I, we are not in a physical war, but we are in a spiritual one. And our words matter. We cannot be careless with our words. Now, a bit and a rudder are small, but they are important. And that is the point James is making here. Your tongue is small but it, it carries great influence. It, it's not an overstatement to say your tongue holds your destiny. So if you want to live a powerful, purposeful life, do you know you can't be walking around saying things like, I'm such a loser. I don't have any talent. Nobody likes me. I'm not very smart. Do you know when you say these things, you're steering your life towards them? That's what James is telling us. See, picture it's like you're sitting on a horse and you've got your head, the horse's head turned in one direction and yet somehow you're hoping he goes in the other direction. Doesn't work that way. And let me add a little bit of brevity to this. When you speak life over your children, when you speak over your children, you are steering their lives towards the words that you speak. So if you're sitting here right now understanding the importance of this and taking an inner vow of silence, let me just encourage you that that's not the answer. See, that would be like keeping your horse in the barn or keeping your ship at the docks. Now they're not being used for what they were created for, right? So the answer isn't to never use your words. The answer is to use your words for good, to, to make them steer you in the direction that you want to go. And we're going to talk about how to do that in a moment. But before we do, we have one more illustration that James gives us that we need to cover. And it's found in verses 5 and 6. James said, Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest, a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Okay, this is getting worse, isn't it? First, James tells us that the tongue steers the body. Now he says the tongue defiles the body and sets the course of nature on fire. And he told us that this fire was actually set by hell. In other words, hell inspires the words that we speak that then we use to set our lives on fire. Hell sets your tongue on fire and your tongue sets your life on fire. Now, you may know this, but the tongue is one of the most powerful muscles in the human body. But the power that it has 
physically isn't nearly as important as its spiritual strength because your tongue, James said, has the power to impact the course of your life. This word course is the Greek word trakos, and it means a wheel, a circuit of physical effects, all right? So you could say then that your words set a wheel in motion. Your words are having a physical effect on your life. Listen, you're not just saying stuff, stuff that doesn't matter. You are setting a direction for your life. You are creating an atmosphere for your life. Now, if God inspires your words, then the path that you've set for yourself is one of righteousness. And the atmosphere that you're creating for yourself is one of blessing and of peace. But if hell inspired your words, then you're setting your life on fire. Do you know there's a story in Luke chapter 1 about a priest by the name of Zacharias. And Zacharias had a wife, Elizabeth, and they were both older. Uh, they had never been able to have children. They were too old to have them now. And one day this priest, Zacharias, is standing in the temple and he's at the altar and he's burning incense and he's all alone until suddenly the angel Gabriel appears in front of him. Now let's not just glance too fast over this story. We, sometimes we read these things as though they're just, they happened all the time back then. They did not. Okay, so he's, picture, you're standing at your kitchen sink, you're doing the dishes, you're all alone, suddenly you're not. An angel is standing there. Imagine what that would have been like. And then the angel says to Zacharias, I am Gabriel, and I have come here to tell you that your wife is going to have a son, and you are to name him John, and John is going to be the one who will prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. And after he makes this great proclamation, let's read Zacharias' response. Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And I love this response, because what Zacharias was asking to was, a sign, give me a sign. And Gabriel said, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. Like, what more sign do you need? I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent here to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. All right, so Gabriel tells Zacharias he would be unable to speak because he did not believe. How did Gabriel know he didn't believe? His words gave him away. Five very poorly chosen words. How shall I know this? He used his tongue to speak the doubts that were in his heart. Thomas Fuller said, learn to hold thy tongue. Five words cost Zacharias 40 weeks of silence. And understand, this silence wasn't a punishment. This was the mercy of God. Because if Zacharias was going to use his words to speak his doubts, those words had power. So God had to shut his mouth to keep him from speaking and undoing the plan of God for his life. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 18, 20 and 21. It says, a man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. All right, let's think about what we just read. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death 
and life. Each of them is contained in the power of your words. A year or two ago, IKEA performed a study, and their intent was to show and illustrate the effects of bullying. And in, in their study, they ended up proving, unbeknownst to them, what both James and Proverbs are telling us. And what they did was they took two identical plants and they put them in the same environment. They treated them exactly the same. The only difference between these plants was that one was only spoken to positively and the other was only spoken to negatively. And what they did was they made two recordings. The first recording was full of insults. Things like, you look rotten, and are you even alive? And then the other recording was full of compliments. Uh, phrases like, I, I like the way you look. You're making a difference in this world. Then they played these recordings at these two plants. After 30 days, just 30 days, the plant that was bullied withered and the other plant was thriving. This is the power of your words. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Now, some of you do a really good job of speaking life to other people. It's the negative self-talk that's doing all of the damage. So let me ask you this. If people spoke to a child that you dearly loved the way that you speak to yourself, would it bless you or upset you when you heard the word spoken? And then let me remind you that each one of you is a child of God and that God wants his daughters to, to be spoken well to, to have life spoken over them. Let's go back to Proverbs 18. I want to read this passage again. This time I'm going to read it in the Amplified Translation. It says, A man's moral self shall be filled with the fruit of his mouth, and that with the consequences of his words, he must be satisfied, whether good or evil. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they who indulge in it shall eat the fruit of it for death or life. So this passage again, it says that you are going to eat the fruit of the words that you've spoken. And in fact, you already are. Much of your life, the way it exists right now, it is the way it is because the words of the words that have been spoken in the past. See, Proverbs tells us you have to be satisfied with the consequences of your words. And that's because this is a spiritual law. There is no getting out of the effects of this. You will eat the fruit that comes from the seeds that you have spoken with your words. Picture that every time you speak, you're spitting seeds out of your mouth. Those seeds are being planted in your life. They're putting down roots, they're growing up, and they're going to produce something. So if you are right now dissatisfied with the way your life is going, would you just consider for a moment that the problem might very well be right under your nose, literally. Now, if you're recognizing in this moment that you've blown it in the past, take heart. Our verse in Proverbs is very clear that words don't only produce death, they produce life. So you can choose right now to begin to sow better seed by choosing to speak better words. You know, there's a popular phrase that we use today. That phrase is speak life. That phrase does not mean say nice things to people that will make them feel good. 
It means say powerful things to people who will who'll deliver, those words will deliver life to people. Say those words over yourself. Speak life over yourself. Now let's talk about how to do this because you know it's not as easy as using your self-will to change your vocabulary. And the reason why that won't work is that the tongue is ultimately not tameable. So let's read on in James, verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth produce, proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. All right, we talked about the bit in the mouth of a horse. We talked about the rudder on a ship. But do you know these tools are not actually what turns these vessels? They're just the tool. It's the rider of the horse. It's the captain of the ship using these tools that's what turns the vessel. So, you know, it wouldn't do a whole lot of good then to have a bit or to have a rudder if a hand were never directing them. And in the same way, your tongue is not doing all of this damage to your life by itself. Your tongue is directed by your heart. Now, James spoke here of a spring. He said a spring either sends forth fresh water or bitter water, not both. Then he spoke of a tree. A tree can bear figs, or it can bear olives, or it can bear grapes. Not all of them. And the point here that he's making is that our mouths can worship God, and then we can use the same mouth to curse someone who was made in the image of God. And what James is saying is that goes against nature. That ought not be so. But he said we can't tame the tongue. So your tongue will eventually prove what is in your heart. In the same way that taking a drink of water is going to prove whether or not that spring is producing something bitter or something sweet. Because the tongue will speak whatever is in your heart. And you can't stop it. But you can give it better material. Jesus said, in Matthew 15, 18, those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence. The Amplified Bible says, guard it above all that you guard, for out of it spring the issues of life. All right, so if cursing and slander and gossip and negativity, if that's what's coming out of my mouth, then I need to, to examine the source of where that stuff came from. Because the truth is, that stuff is in my heart. And I can spend all of my time attempting to control what I say. But if I am never willing to deal with my heart, then trying to control my tongue is pointless. Matthew 12, 33, this is Jesus again. He said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things, and an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth 
evil things. So Jesus said it's out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So let's talk about what we can do to change the contents of our heart. The first thing that you can do is you can choose your thoughts. Now thoughts are an important part of determining what is going on in your heart. So then let me ask you this, what's going on in your head? What are you mulling over? What are you meditating on? Because if it's up here long enough in your head, it's going to get into your heart. And if it gets into your heart, it's going to come out of your mouth and it's going to produce fruit that you have to eat. Now we talked about a spring. A spring can't produce both fresh water and bitter water. If your heart is that spring, then think of your thoughts as though you're standing on the edge of that spring, throwing stuff into your heart with what you're thinking about. So if I'm standing by that spring and I'm throwing negativity in, that's not going to produce fresh water. That water is going to be bitter. Now, Paul told us how to think in Philippians 4.8. He said, now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. These thoughts will feed your heart. They'll fill it full of life. And then that's what will come out of your mouth. The second thing that you can do is you can choose your words. Now, we've already talked about how ultimately the tongue isn't tameable, but we can have these little short bursts of discipline over it, and we need to use them wisely. Because while the mouth will speak what's in the heart, it's also true that the heart can be impacted by what the words that you choose to speak, intentional words. Do you know we need to be making some declarations? We need to be declaring things over our lives that God would declare over our lives. And you know, we never speak more powerfully than when we speak the word of God. Think for a moment about the power in God's words. God spoke and created heavens and the earth. All the beautiful things that we see in the world, they were created by God's words. So what do you think is going to happen then when you and I go to his word, find out what he said about our situation, and then say those same things that he said over our lives. Begin to declare God's words over our situation. I can tell you what will happen if we do that. The same creative power that created the heavens and the earth will go to work on our behalf. David prayed this way. In Psalm 19, he said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. See, if you fill your heart full of acceptable words, your mouth will automatically speak these things, even when you're in your most unguarded moments, because that's what's in your heart. So you could say it this way, your tongue can fill your heart so that your heart can use your tongue to speak life. It works both ways. Third thing that you can do is you can choose your friends. You can fill your heart up with the words of other people, people who know how to speak life. Proverbs 12.25 says, anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, 
but a good word makes it glad. So surround yourself with people who know how to speak good words, which is what I believe is happening at every table in this room. Proverbs 10 says, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. So here we can see that the tongue and the heart are mentioned together again. It happens everywhere in the Bible. There is no separating them. So if you have some righteous people in your lives, according to this verse, their words will enrich you. Their words will feed you. And you should be doing that for other people as well. Now, before we leave this point, I want to say one more thing. Sometimes words of life don't feel warm and fuzzy in the moment. See, I'm not saying surround yourself with people who always just make you feel good and pat you on the back. Do you know sometimes words of life are words of correction and words of challenge because they're words of truth. So allow some people in your life, allow people who you trust to speak the truth to you. Don't get so offended because that, if you get offended, that's not gonna fill your heart full of the, the enriching and the, and the food that you need in your heart. All right, number four, we can be slow to speak. Now we learned about, about this in James chapter one, where in verse 19 he said, so then my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And Proverbs 10:19 says, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. All right, since the tongue is not tameable, it makes sense that if we use it a lot, it's eventually going to sin. And that's why James tells us to be slow to speak and Proverbs says to restrain your lips. In other words, don't give your tongue so many opportunities to get you into trouble. It's pretty simple. Fifth thing we can do is pray. In Psalm 141, verse three, David prayed, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do you know God knows what we're dealing with here? He knows that our tongues are untamable. And he's here to help. Ask him. Ask him to put a guard on your mouth. Ask him to keep you from speaking out those words of death. Ask him to give you words of life that you can speak again. Just ask him. All right, now, let's sum this up as we close. Since the mouth is wired to speak what is in your heart, then the focus has to be on filling the contents of your heart with the kind of stuff that you want your untamed tongue to say. And we have to do this intentionally before we can do it habitually. Because remember, you are not taming your tongue. You're filling your heart. Take some time. Proverbs 16, 23 says, the heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. All right, so your heart will teach your mouth. That's what he's saying here. Your heart will teach your mouth to produce pleasant words that will fill your soul with sweetness, that will fill your body with health. Again, there's the power of your words. If you consider comparison for a moment, do you know Winston Churchill's words brought a faltering nation together? At the same time, Adolf Hitler's words were responsible for starting a war that cost millions of lives. Do you see? Life 
and death are in the power of the tongue. Consider also Peter. He spoke a sermon using his words on the day of Pentecost. And in that one sermon, 3,000 people came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Consider also that 10 spies spoke at the threshold of the promised land, about to enter into everything God had for them. And they spoke out their words of unbelief and fear and doubt and convinced an entire nation to turn back from all God had promised and wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until they died. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Your words make a difference. Your words can either end or start a harmful rumor. Your words can encourage someone to try again or encourage someone to completely give up. Your words can set, can set the direction of the life of a child for good or for bad. Your words can, can set an atmosphere of happiness or of misery in your home, in your workplace, in your relationships. See, your words are creating the fruit of your life. So what fruit are your words producing? Now I want to end with a quote by Charles Capps. He said, if Jesus came to you personally and said, from this day forward, it will come to pass that everything you say will happen exactly as you said it, would that change your vocabulary? I believe it would. Well, that's all I have for you now. It's your turn. You guys are going to discuss at your tables. Speak life to one another. Amen? Thank you.